Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Everything about his his run um, seems, Jen Paul Mary, like a missed opportunity. Like um, you think of uh, Virginia Governor Bob's for jobs. Remember, that was a great campaign. It was all about jobs. He can't be Ron DeSantis for jobs with his big fight with Disney and them moving out. And by the way, what a missed opportunity on Disney. He and his wife got married there. That could be like such a love story for jobs and the growth that that Disney was going to bring to Florida canceled. There's just it just seems so uh, everything he does seems to be negative and mishandled. He doesn't What the hell is Mika Brzezinski talking about? What is she talking about? Disney has a sweetheart deal, and Florida said it's time to come to an end, especially if you're going to enter the political fray. Now, you can argue that Disney can come in the political fray, but then to argue that you're not allowed to do anything about Disney's deal is nuts. And look at what Mika's saying. Don't have a standard. Don't have morals. Don't have a code. Simply do the political thing because it's better for you. You got married at Disney, so go court Disney. And then I'll launch the campaign in Disney, and America could be the happiest place on earth, or whatever it is they say over there. That's a remarkable statement. But everything about DeSantis is mismanaged. We've already gone through the conversation of DeSantis's announcements, what it is that he actually said, how it got presented. But this idea of how others are taking the announcement, that is worthy of conversation because what we're hearing from the cable news outlets is garbage. This isn't news. This is up. Gotta hate Ron DeSantis. Let me go at him. There is no thought here. There is no uh, concrete theory here. All there is is how can we attack, attack, attack. And when you bring on Jennifer Palmieri, the former communications director for Biden, well, was it Biden or was it Obama? Oh, what's the difference? How is this a serious conversation? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. As you go through the conversations being had by the left, remember that they think that Trump is Hitler and DeSantis is worse. And I'm going to prove that to you coming up. But they're more upset with Elon Musk than they are with DeSantis. I'm going to prove that as well. Let's get a little bit more of what Jennifer Palmieri thinks of DeSantis's announcement. It doesn't seem to have any kind of range, right? Yeah. There's like no calibration. No yeah, there's definitely no touch. There's no, no calibration touch. with the guy. And it's like he started off, you know, he could have just been an effective governor of Florida and be doing well with the Republican voters that want to move on from Trump. But instead, he like re- just like double, triple, quadruple down, down on a very mean-spirited, pretty nasty MAGA agenda that I don't think, you know, I mean, six-week abortion ban? What are you doing? I'm not sure. I think I could argue Donald Trump is more electable than Don- Ron DeSantis when you support a six-week abortion ban. And his- Well, of course you do. You desperately want Trump. But one can argue, at least on policy, that's not a great policy for the state of Florida. America wants bans. They want limitations. They don't want it gone. They want limitations. And their sweet spot is 12 to 15 weeks. It's not six weeks. 
But this idea that DeSantis is running a mean-spirited campaign is madness. There is no truth in this. There is no reality in this. They disagree on abortion. That does not make his campaign mean-spirited. What a pathetic thing to say. And if we want to talk about pathetic... When you go about saying that Ron DeSantis uh, signed a don't say gay bill, that never happened. Gay people never got attacked in Florida. It was a parental bill of rights. You don't believe that parents should have rights, but you don't mind lying about it, calling it don't say gay bill. They do the same thing in my beloved Indiana, the Indiana Democratic Party, not the brightest people. And they don't care if they lie to the constituents, to the citizens. Uh, The left doesn't care if they lie, nor do they care if they threaten. Did you hear Whoopi Goldberg? I, I, I don't want to dislike you. I can't help it because you give <laughs> you're not, you don't give me any reason because I don't understand. Why do you dislike people of color? What's wrong with American history? Yeah. What's wrong with gay folks? You know, Anita Bryant did this stuff in 1975 and gay folks rose up. Yeah. And fought for what they needed. That's what's coming, man. What, that's what's coming. Oh, no. Is that what's coming? So now you want people to attack Ron DeSantis for not going after gay people, but recognizing uh, that we shouldn't be sexualizing kids in third grade? It is a nuanced conversation about what kind of society we want to have. And if your answer is, well, you mean don't say gay, these are the same people who say we want more spending. Well, we can't afford the spending. Oh, so you want spending cuts. No one said the word cuts. This is third-rate intellectuals engaged in a fourth-rate conversation. And unfortunately, it works. It works. The lying works. And then you take the chairman of the DNC, Jamie Harrison, and this is how he responds to a question from the completely um, pseudo-intellectual Willie Geist. Donald Trump may not even show up to that debate, so we'll see how that goes. So what are, as Democrats think about this presidential election, you've got all kinds of yeah. races that you're concerned about down ballot, I understand. But are they, is, it the, is the calculation that Donald Trump remains the better candidate to run against, that you have a better shot at beating him than Ron DeSantis? Or do you watch last night and go, well, actually, maybe he's the better match? for us they're all bad they're all extreme and and that's the thing you look at all of the major issues that people really care about you look at uh, about abortion they all believe in a national abortion ban guns. to some extent guns again again they side with the nra over our families and, and our kids uh we look at the banning of books this is america you know and the republican party i grew up under the ronald reagan republican party they 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 surrounded themselves in the american flag. Well, part of America is freedom, the freedom to speak, uh, the the freedom of choice. And these guys are everything against freedom. Good Lord. They're all bad. They don't believe in freedom. No one's banning books. Let's say this again. No one's banning books. If you told me that my public library wasn't going to allow books, I'd have words for you. If you tell me that a school library isn't going to have a book available to eight-year-olds that shows graphic depictions of anal sex, I'll say, good. 
There's a difference in the two things. And here is MSNBC completely unwilling to recognize that. Do you know how much they hate you? Do you know how much they hate you, the American populace? This is what they say. Does it matter how DeSantis's launch went if the head of the DNC is going to say they're all bad, they're all extreme? What kind of thing is this? That's all they're going to say? My gosh, that's special. That's special because you know that it doesn't matter what Ron DeSantis does. It didn't matter how his launch went. It's inconsequential. The response was going to be absolutely the same. The response was going to be hysteria. Now let me give you two more. Two more pieces. First one from Alyssa Farrah Griffin, who used to be in the Trump administration, also was with Vice President Pence. When I would do interviews with Vice President Pence, she she was certainly lovely to me. She is a massive disappointment on The View. Massive. Joy Behar could say out loud that Clarence Thomas and Tim Scott don't understand the experience of a black man in America. And she doesn't call her out for the bigotry, and now she wants to be taken seriously? Nah. Her, Anna Navarro, none of them. You can't be taken seriously. You're full of it. You won't call out your own people. They don't know what it really means to be black in America. These two black men, says the liberal white lady, Joy Behar. And Alyssa Farrah says nothing. She's been a massive disappointment. She's on CNN answering the question from Anderson Cooper. Alyssa, you had said this morning uh, on CNN that it would either be brilliant or disastrous, obviously. Seems like more of the latter. Um, Listen, when you're doing these campaign launches, months of planning goes in. Comms teams, advanced teams, they pinpoint every single detail to make you look presidential. And frankly, the first thing you should do is do no harm. The tech side, harm was done. But also looking presidential, it was a very odd platform to have him with two other people kind of talking amongst each other. Well, also, there's no looking. because There's no looking. Yeah, you're only hearing. So it, it came off almost like he was a talk radio host, not a future leader of the free world. I think it was a total miscalculation by his team. Um, Listen, his remarks off the top were perfectly decent. He could have given them in an arena with a crowd, and I think that would have been much stronger than this, what was frankly a debacle. Debacle. Now, first, you should be aware that she started with the vice president, Mike Pence, who started off as a radio host in the very chair I sit in right now at 93.1 FM WIBC in Indianapolis, which means I am the next future leader of the free world. You're welcome, everybody. Let me tell you, it's going to be terrific. Uh, There's going to be a chicken in every... Actually, there's going to be a brisket on every smoker and two cigars in every garage. It's going to be a dream, I tell you. He sounded like a talk radio host. What does that even what does that even mean? Joe Biden uh, sounds like a, a silly old man unaware of where he is. He talk sound like a talk radio host. That's not even a thing. Now, if you want to argue he, he would have been better served speaking in an arena, well that's that's certainly interesting. But the idea that because Twitter had the problems, it was a debacle. After they figured out the problems, and I don't, I don't disagree. You don't want problems. Not, not a good look. 
They then spoke for like an hour. 700,000 plus people were, were involved in, in this. And there was a lot of policy that came out of it. A lot of policy conversations that came out of it. But you want to focus on debacle, and it was the wrong format. In that same conversation, Anderson Cooper turns to Van Jones. And Van Jones more kind of uh, uh, gives away the, the story. It's a very weird way to start your campaign. Uh, it's, it's kind of already bowing down to uh, uh, technology, wealth, power. This is not a populist campaign. Uh, he's sitting there, uh, by the way, you know, Twitter uh, trying to get involved in social audio, uh, chasing Clubhouse, failing. Even you know, It's not just D.C. is laughing. Silicon Valley is laughing as well. So you, know, you put yourself in the middle of a big fist fight in Silicon Valley over who's going to be the king of social audio while you're trying to run for president and nobody can hear you, hear you talking. It was a disaster. He's not even talking about DeSantis. First, it's the first time I've heard anybody mention Clubhouse in over a year. Kylan, you're a you're a you're a Gen Zer, right? Would you say you're a Gen? Are you an are you a millennial or a Gen Z? Which one are you? I'm a Gen Z. You're Gen Z mm-hmm. from beginning to end. Yep, late 1990s. Okay, Gen Zer. Let me ask you this question: Do you use Clubhouse? <laughs> Honestly, the only Clubhouse I know of that comes to mind is this one. It's the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. Inside, it's okay, it might be partially because of my baby sister, but no, I don't even know what Clubhouse is, let alone use that's, it. That's my point. You don't know what Clubhouse is. So what in the world is Van Jones talking about? And the answer is not DeSantis. The disaster that is DeSantis's launch isn't about DeSantis, then what's it about? It's about tech. First, He's bowing down. DeSantis is bowing down to tech overlords. Listen to how they talk about Elon Musk. They're so angry that he freed Twitter for you and me. They're so angry that we get a voice on Twitter. They don't know what to do with themselves. So now, instead of being the guy who brought us electric cars and is going to send us to the freaking moon when he doesn't have satellites running in perfect alignment in the sky to allow people internet access... He's now a tech oligarch who's coming to destroy us. And here's Ron DeSantis bowing down to his overlord. I'm assuming that's the way they hear it in their, in their heads. And then it's about Clubhouse and it's about Silicon Valley and a tech fight. What the hell are you talking about? They can't figure out who their enemy is. Van Jones couldn't stay on track. I only wonder if Van Jones goes back over this and goes, yep, that was a miss. Because he kind of gave away the game. They don't have any issue with, with Ron DeSantis. I mean, they've got maybe a policy disagreement, which would be fine, but they bring it in terms of lies. They're all bad. They're all extreme. He's banning books. He's not banning books. He's not teaching black history. Totally not true. If black history has in it queer theory, he's asking, why is queer theory in black history? That shouldn't be there. And is black history part of American history? And let's teach the whole of it. By the way, I favor teaching the whole of history, the good, the great, the bad, and the ugly. I favor all of it. 
There is no reason anybody in the United States of America gets through high school without learning about the Tulsa Race Massacre. Not a single person should get through high school without learning about the Tulsa Race Massacre. That's my take. As long as we're going to have public education, that's my take. Now, if you told me that everything was going to be private education and one-room schoolhouses, which I'd be totally fine with, you still shouldn't get through high school without learning about the Tulsa Race Massacre. I don't think you need queer theory at all. You want to call me a homophobe? You'd be weird. You'd be really, really weird. And you'd be really weird if you thought that somehow queer theory was involved with uh, conversations about slavery or race in America. You would be somebody desperate for ideology, not history. And so if that's the argument that Florida's making, that we teach history, we don't engage ideology, Florida's right, and the people at CNN are wrong. And the people who claim that he won't teach black history are lying freak losers. So let's not listen to lying freak losers. Let's be honest about the thing. Van Jones isn't talking about Ron DeSantis. He's talking about Elon Musk. And he's talking about Elon Musk because his anger overshadows and overpowers anything Musk said or or, or DeSantis said. In the end, Twitter did the the Twitter part did not start off great for DeSantis, and that's true. And people are going to mock it, and that's just the way it goes. And I I think it's low-hanging fruit, but fine. He then engaged policy conversations, as we've discussed, that are worthy of conversation. The left can't get over its anger for Musk and it's clouding their conversations about DeSantis. But all their conversations are the same boring garbage. Oh, he seems disconnected. Oh, he seems this. Oh, he seems that. I I concede Ron DeSantis is an awkward cat. Joe Biden doesn't know how to walk off a stage. John Fetterman cannot complete a sentence, and Dianne Feinstein doesn't even remember that she was out of work for a few months dealing with shingles. She doesn't remember. So, I'll take awkward any day of the week. I will take a press corps that simply can't figure out how to be properly focused on policy. They instead just want to foment anger and hate, and they want to repeat Republicans racist, Republicans fascist as often as they can. And they hate Elon Musk even more than they hate Ron DeSantis, even more than they hate Donald Trump. And that's saying something. That is something. I'm Tony Katz. That's the way we all became the Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch house is for sale, but you'd have to live in California. So honestly, it's like, uh, it's 50-50. The house is super cool, mid-century, modern, everything you could dream of, but you got to live in Studio City, which is a nice place to be, but it's California. So no. They did the whole renovation. It was Drew and Jonathan Scott, the property brothers, and it was purchased for $3.5 million back in 2018. The network invested HGTV over approximately $2 million into the property, and now it's for sale for $5.5 million. 11222 Dilling Street. (laughs) That's a funny name. D-I-L-L-I-N-G. 11222 Dilling Street. Honestly, it's super cool. It is super cool and looks like something out of a museum. And yes, I totally want to live there. In every way, I want to live in this house. Oh, the mid-century modern look. That's my look. That's that's who I am as a person. Mid-century modern, 
makes me very, very happy. I don't live in a mid-century modern, but, you know, I dream. I dream simple dreams. Find everything at TonyKatz.com, T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z. I'm Tony Katz. Sometimes you got to ask yourself, what is it about the other side that you need to know? What is it that they're actually saying? And in the case of Robert F. Kennedy Jr., what we hear about is that man is strong on COVID. You got to know the total man. You got to understand the COVID position and how it relates to other positions. Guys, welcome to the show. Good to be with you. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. uh, right there. Let's start with the, the basics. You're challenging the sitting president of the United States for the nomination. That's not an everyday thing. Why are you doing it? I just became convinced that our country is on a bad track and my political party has kind of gone off the rails. Our party, uh, the Democratic Party, has become the party of war, party of censorship, uh, the party of fear, the party of uh, the neocons, you know, crafting our foreign policy and Wall Street big shots crafting our domestic uh, policies. And it's, I don't think it's good for our country. And I think we've uh, we've abandoned a lot of the principles that, you know, listen, I, I, want, I have seven kids. I want my kids to grow up the way that I did, proud to be an American. I want America to be wielding moral authority around the world. People around the world want American leadership. They don't want bullying and they know the difference. And, I, you know, I think we should go back to uh, uh, the role that we used to play. What? How would you describe that? What is the role we used to play well, that I, we no longer I, play? I mean, I think we, in foreign policy, I think we, you know, um, when you know, when I was a kid, when I was six years old, I was I attended my uncle's inauguration three days before on my birthday. Dwight Eisenhower, who was the outgoing president, gave the most probably what is today should be regarded as the most important speech in American history, where he warned Americans against the rise, the emergence of a military industrial complex that would turn America into an imperium abroad and a surveillance state at home, that it would corrode and erode and overwhelm our democracy. My uncle came in, immediately was faced with that cabal. Two months into office, they lied to him and talked him into the pigs invasion. And in the middle of that, he came out of his office and he said, I want to shatter the CIA into a thousand pieces and scatter it to the wind. And he became, he realized at that point that the intelligence apparatus and the military, you know, at that point, the Joint Chiefs, um, that the function and particularly of the intelligence agencies was to provide America with a constant pipeline of new wars to feed the military industrial complex. And um, and he spent a thousand days that he was in office at odds with the, with the military brass and the intelligence agencies. He fired the top three people at CIA and tried to replace them with people who were more interested in America's national security and the moral authority of our country. But the, uh, the agency maintained its its culture, and today, you know, we've spent since uh, since 2001, since the Iraq War, we've spent 8.1 trillion dollars 
on foreign borders that have done nothing good for the United States. I don't I don't disagree. Uh, and for a lot of people who are unfamiliar with their politics, they're going to say a guy who wants to stay out of foreign wars. That sounds very much like President Trump. That's what they're going to say. A guy. We didn't do this. We didn't do that. President Trump says that often. But going back to President Biden quickly, how do you what is the strategy to beat President Biden in a primary, considering that the Democratic Party has stated that no debates. We heard this from Simone Sanders on MSNBC not to, not too long ago. No debates, so no chance for you to sh- engage in this conversation. So what do you think the the move point, the pivot point is for Democrats? Oh, what are you asking? Are you asking what is my kind of path to victory? Correct. Well, I would I think that there, you know, it's unfortunate that the president is not going to debate. I think it you know, this is a time in our nation's history when so many people are feeling like the system is rigged against them and that the electoral system is also rigged. And the Democratic Party ought to be at the spear tip of convincing Americans that, you know, of, of creating an election that's a template for democracy, where there's retail politics, where real debate. And that we're not like the Soviet Union, where the party picks the, you know, picks the candidates. <laughs> um, but... I still think that there are ways around that. I mean, I've spent many years, almost 18 years, being censored by the mainstream media. And particularly the last three years of blanket sort of wall-to-wall censorship. But we figured out ways uh, around that. We've figured out ways to communicate with people that are not dependent on the mainstream media. And, and some of that is, you know, my when my uncle ran Tony in 1960, Television was a new invention, and he understood that it was going to uh, it was going to decide the presidential elections. And he took advantage of that. And I think in, in 2016, uh, Twitter served kind of the same, you know, played a critical role in that election. Uh, Twitter is continues to do that today. The 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 ways to connect to people certainly do matter. And of course, being in this business and being in, on the side of the aisle that I'm, I'm at, paying attention to how text does silence people has been a big story. And watching Elon Musk free uh, at least Twitter in that regard has been unbelievably helpful. And we see mainstream media be very angry uh, about it. You have gotten a lot of media coverage, sir, talking to Robert F. Kennedy Jr., candidate for president uh, on the Democratic side. Because of your take on COVID, on COVID vaccines, and due to that take, some people view you as a conservative-minded person. Politically, that's that's not the totality of your politics. You're very, very strong on the idea of climate change not only being real, but something we have to be uh, aggressive uh, uh, about. You have made a series of statements on that. Politically, you you do remain well within that Democratic, if I could say, progressive party, not not the conservative side. But you feel definitely silenced over that your your feelings and your takes on COVID. Yeah, on the climate issue, you know, I have a different take than a lot of other environmentalists, and it's been consistent over many years, which is to focus uh, because you know, frankly. Um, it, what I found over my many years, 40 years as an environmental advocate, that Republicans and Democrats are all environmentalists at some level. People care about, they don't want their kids to be poisoned by toxics. They want 
to preserve sacred places. People want to go to places to hunt, to fish, to enjoy, to, to enjoy the outdoors. They want to preserve our Purple Mountain's majesty. And so I focused on those issues rather than climate. I mean, if you, you know, I believe that climate change is real and that it's a crisis, but I don't insist that you believe in that, you know, and I understand why a lot of people don't because it's, it's lines on graphs, it's studies and, and nobody really has the capacity to, to read or assess. And so I'm not going to insist that people believe in that. There are plenty of reasons to end our addiction to oil and coal that have nothing to do with climate, that have to do with national security, that have to do with making our children healthy, that have to do with preserving sacred places. You know, we're cutting down the Appalachian Mountains. 500 biggest peaks on the Appalachian Mountains have been leveled. Um, we, have, we have filled 2,200 miles of streams in eastern Kentucky, West Virginia. Nobody wants that. Uh, the waters are poisoned in those states. Um, we've poisoned every freshwater fish in North America with mercury. Uh, the And that's coming from coal-burning power plants. The acid rain from those plants has uh, has deforested the high peaks of the Appalachian from Georgia to northern Quebec and has sterilized those lakes. And, you know, and on and on, there's half a trillion dollars of healthcare costs in this country, pulmonary, respiratory, uh, 60,000 deaths, millions and millions of asthma attacks that come from ozone and particulate. So there are better ways to, uh, to, to fuel our economy and more efficient ways and cheaper ways. And what I say is that we should, um, we should rely on free markets. We should end the subsidies to carbon and to everybody else. And that we should let the markets describe, decide. So I, I think that's a little bit different than maybe where you were uh, in, in the past with, with some of the, of the climate conversation. Uh, but certainly, um, do, you, do you see yourself as a free market guy? And, and I mean, I know that you brought, just brought on former Congressman Dennis Kucinich uh, to run the campaign as your campaign manager. And when we go back to the days of, of the Obamacare conversations and things like that, he was to the left of Barack Obama. So, you know, uh, the, that choice of campaign manager is is a discussion of uh, politics and beliefs. I just want to make sure we understand where you are. Do you feel that that your beliefs have changed or do you believe that you're still a Democrat in this in the vein of Democrats, whether we're talking about uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan or, or someone like like that? And and that it is the party that has gone further left than you would be OK with. I am a Kennedy Democrat. I'm a traditional Kennedy Democrat. I don't think my general views have changed, you know, at all about, uh, you know, about specific things. They change. If I see facts that are different. I'm going to change my opinion. But, you know, my views, my sympathies, my general philosophy and approach to politics is the same as uh, it, it's been consistent my whole life. I've always believed in the free market. And I've always said for 40 years, you can go back and look at my speeches from the 1980s. And I was saying the most important thing that we can do for the environment is to have real free market capitalism, which we do not have in this country. We have corporate crony capitalism. And a, tr a true free market would uh, is the enemy. Uh, it, a true free market would would give us efficiency. And efficiency is the elimination of waste. And pollution is waste. And a true free mark, a true free market would require us to properly value our natural resources. 
And it's the undervaluation of those resources that causes us to use them wisely. And in a true free market, you can't make yourself rich without making your neighbors rich and without enriching your community. But what polluters do is they make themselves rich by making everybody else poor. You show me a polluter, I'll show you a subsidy. I'll show you a fat cat using political clout to escape the discipline of the free market and force the public to pay his production costs. If we're going to stick in this climate conversation, sir, talking to Robert F. Kennedy Jr., a candidate for president on the Democratic ticket, give me a conversation about climate, about the environment, where you differ from Joe Biden, because if we were to talk about Green New Deal, you're somebody who has supported that concept, the concept of the Green New Deal. That seems to be now part and parcel of where the Democratic Party is today. Give me something concrete that is different than where Joe Biden is right now. Well, my approach is different. My approach, as I say, is a market-based approach. Right now, it costs about $3.2 billion to build a gigawatt, a one gigawatt coal plant. It costs a, uh, to build a solar plant costs $1 billion. And then it's free energy forever. And the problem is the blockade to uh, to coal to to more efficient energy sources, variable and you know and renewable energy sources is mainly uh, the grid. Is we do not have a grid that can get those those electrons to market. So almost every farmer in North Dakota wants to put wind turbines in, on his property because a a cornfield without a wind turbine is worth about $800. With a wind turbine, it's worth $3,000 or $3,200. So everybody wants to do it. The problem, and, and there's huge amounts of capital are waiting around the borders of North Dakota, which is the windiest place in North America and one of the windiest in the world outside of Antarctica. Everybody wants to finance that. The problem is you can't get those electrons to market and we need to build out the grid system and create a marketplace that turns every American into an energy entrepreneur, every home into a power plant. I I don't like the I do not like the top down approach to environmental um, uh, to the to, to uh, climate. And I really turned against that during the COVID crisis because I saw how that crisis was manipulated. I mm-hmm. Davos Billionaires Boys Club and Bill Gates and others to use that crisis as a pretext for clamping down totalitarian controls. And I see that the same thing is happening with climate, that it is being misused. It's a real crisis, but it is being misused by uh, by the same cabal. Is, is, is that the representative Ocasio-Cortez's? Is that the Senator Dick Durbin's? Who is well, that? I, I think those people are just, are you know, are uh, some of the things that they're doing are part of an agenda by people who are probably much more, I would regard as much more powerful than them. people in the, um, you know, the, as I say, the kind of World Economic Forum, the intelligence agencies, people who are, um, who are more interested in control than they are in actually preserving the, you know, the, the uh, infrastructure of our ecosystems. There are a series of questions that I want to ask you, but I, I, I promise to keep the time and to keep you on schedule. So we're going to have to have you back. That's got to happen because we, I want to dig in more. But I, I must ask uh, Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, he uh, announced yesterday, let's say you get the nomination. The Democratic Party says they, they want uh, four more years of Kennedy. 
in 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 the White House. Uh, who would you rather face, Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis? I think. Uh, I mean, my the poll numbers that I have right now um, show me doing much better against Ron DeSantis. Um, so I, you know, I guess from a strategic point of view, that it would be better for me to face him. Uh, but I do well against both of them. So I'm, I'm, uh, and I'm this campaign is, you know, I, I mean, the thing is with Donald Trump, I'm in a very good position to hold him responsible for something that nobody else is holding him responsible for, which is the lockdowns. Lockdowns were the biggest economic catastrophe in American history, and they were Donald Trump's lockdowns. It cost our country $16 trillion. They engineered a $4 trillion shift in wealth from the middle class in this country to the super rich. He closed down 3.3 million businesses and, you know, shifted all of that wealth to Amazon and, you know, to the people who were then collaborating with the White House to censor people like me who were criticizing the lockdowns. And it was a war on the poor and the war on the middle class in this country in every way. And, you know, I would love to have a debate in front of the American people about that with, you know, with uh, President Trump. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., thank you so much for being here. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. You found me, you found me I keep getting asked, Tony, are you for Trump? Tony, are you for DeSantis? I'm for the nominee because I am for beating Joe Biden. Do I want Trump's baggage? No, I don't. Am I a fool enough to think that if Trump gets the nomination, I won't be supportive if he's going against Joe Biden, a guy who is in direct opposition to my kid's future? Of course not. The only Trump position makes no sense. The never Trump position makes no sense. Guys, just like with everything else, keep your powder dry and focus on the thing, which is beating Joe Biden and keeping America going. That's my plan. Find everything at TonyCats.com tomorrow, everyone. Take care. Take care.